As he walked across the bridge that morning, approaching the invisible line that separated him from Texas, it wasn't hard for Jose to envision what would come next. The welcoming American half-smile, the face-down scan of his passport, the keyboard pecking, the faux-polite, please come with me, sir, and the pat-down, always a pat-down, before a waterfall of questions about his brother. He'd be lucky to get out of there by lunchtime. It was only eight in the morning, but already it was eighty on its way to one hundred one, with the sun preheating the pedestrians on the gateway to the America's International Bridge. Bridge One, as the U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents called it, was the span used by the thousands of people who crossed by foot each day between Nuevo Laredo in northern Mexico's Tamaulipas state and Laredo, Texas. Jose inched across, U.S. passport at the ready. He was forty-three. He was thick through the chest and shoulders, soft in the middle, filling out his five-foot-seven frame. His black hair was thinning on top and fading at the temples. His round face was etch-a-sketched with proof of his status as lifelong laborer and father of four. He'd been trudging across this bridge for most of his four decades. Crossing was once a breeze. Mexican or American, you could stroll across the bridge in either direction, the Rio Grande slogging beneath you, and through the checkpoint in a matter of minutes, often by just declaring yourself a citizen. It was the ease of crossing that made living on the border alluring, the ability to visit a favorite relative, attend a birthday celebration or quinceañera, play in a soccer game, or party in a country other than your own. You crossed the border the way people in other towns crossed a railroad track, so fluidly that residents referred to the two cities as one, Los Dos Laredos. Over the years, though, the 1,000-foot walk across had become excruciating, even for those who weren't yanked out of line the way Jose was. It started after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, when more agents were dispatched to keep the cable news nightmares at bay. Armed with scanners, X-rays, and political consensus, Customs and Border Patrol agents, soon to be rebranded as Border Protection agents, started scrutinizing every crosser, looking for reasons to turn someone away. The line into Texas could take hours now, even if your name didn't make the Fed's hard drives spin. Jose made his way between the chain-link fence that lined this section of the bridge and the metal barriers that protected him from cars inching past to his left. At around five after eight, he finally approached the kiosk and handed the agent his passport. Do you have any weapons? No. Do you have more than $10,000 to declare? No. For years, his answers had been good enough. Lately, though, when the feds scanned Jose's passport, they got a notification from a proprietary security platform telling the agent there was some reason not to let Jose pass. This time was no different. An agent escorted him into the fading beige U.S. Customs and Border Protection building. It was a maze of offices and interrogation rooms connected by hallways with moldy tile and wheezy elevators that seemed forever on the verge of breaking down. 
The whole building smelled a little like a teenage boy's locker. There were holding cells for criminals caught crossing, furnished with nothing but metal toilets and wooden benches, handcuffs attached and waiting. There were rooms for counting currency, equipped with computer terminals and scales. There was an intake center for families, mostly Central American mothers and children who were fleeing gang violence and hoping for asylum. There were dog cages, but usually no dogs. They were all outside, sniffing. An agent patted Jose down and escorted him into an interview room. They called this secondary inspection, or hard secondary. For Jose, a more apt name might have been a we-know-who-your-brother-is-so-sit-the-fuck-down-for-an-inspection inspection. When Jose drove across, which was infrequent, they would comb his car and his person for guns, drugs, large amounts of cash, or anything else actionable. He had walked across this time, so they had to settle for what they called his pocket trash, the contents of a bag he was carrying and the pockets of his clothes. Agents moved in and out of the room. They didn't announce it, but Jose could guess what they were doing, making calls to whatever agency might have some questions about his little brother.